Hello, and welcome to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. A couple years ago, we surveyed our supporting members, and one of the questions that we asked was how they would characterize their profession and engagement with the movement. Were they involved in Strong Towns as an elected official, city staff person, urban planner or engineer, or actually just a concerned citizen who cared deeply about their city? And while we had many responses in all those categories, the biggest one was the last one, regular people who just care about their communities. Today's guest is one of those people, although it's not right to say that she is just a concerned citizen, nor is that true of most of the folks involved in this movement. Emma Durandwood is a writer, editor, and former librarian. She's also a leader in her neighborhood association and a big advocate for street trees. Emma lives in Winnipeg, Canada, which she calls a big little city. She started getting involved in local issues after a pawn shop was being proposed in her neighborhood, and she and some neighbors got together to say that that business was not a great fit for their community. Since then, she started a blog about her city and neighborhood, made the choice to walk, bike, and take transit with her family instead of just driving everywhere, helped revive her neighborhood association, and led an initiative to plant more street trees. In this interview, she'll talk especially about that last item and the surprising power of trees to transform your city. She also discusses the value of neighborhood gatherings, big and small, including a front yard pancake party that she and her husband are hosting, and a lot more. So here's my conversation with Strong Towns member Emma Durand Wood. Emma Durandwood, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It is great to have you on the show today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Can you start by telling us a little about yourself and how you came to be involved in efforts to make your town stronger? Uh, As you mentioned, my name is Emma. I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada with my husband and our three kids who are 12, 9, and 5. And I would say that I started to get involved in uh, making my town stronger uh, in 2016 when um, some neighbors and I heard about a pawn shop that wanted to set up in our neighborhood. And we were really disconcerted to hear that. We thought it was not a good idea. We're sort of a neighborhood that's kind of on the edge, uh, has some, some real issues with poverty, but also has a lot going for it. And we thought this is not something that we need. We connected a big group of neighbors together and we went to City Hall and we managed to get the decision stopped. And after we had that success, we really wanted to keep our momentum going. And so we actually restarted a neighborhood association that had been dormant for a few years. And that's been going since 2016. And that was really the beginning of uh, all sorts of involvement in my neighborhood and the city. That's wonderful. And I think that that is a really common story. You know, some sort of issue in your community gets you kind of fired up and then you're pulled into the bigger, the bigger projects and bigger efforts to to make your community better. Can you tell us about Winnipeg for those that aren't familiar? What's the community like and what are some of the best assets and biggest challenges? Um, Or maybe also just about your neighborhood. I know Winnipeg is a big city. (laughs) 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Winnipeg is uh, by far the biggest city in our province. It's about 750,000. Um, and just for reference, the next biggest city in Manitoba is about 50,000. So we're, we're a very big center uh, sort of relative to the rest of the, the province. Um, but people always describe Winnipeg as a big little city. There's a very strong sort of six degrees of separation. It's usually more like two degrees or one degree. <laughs> uh, and it feels like you're always meeting people who you have a mutual connection to. So that's that's really cool. And what I kind of have enjoyed about it is that it's it's small enough that you can easily get plugged into people, uh, circles of people who have similar interests, um, especially strong towns type stuff. So that's really nice. At the same time, Winnipeg's got this inferiority complex. It's, uh, it seems like it's the butt of many jokes. Uh, there's a there's a line that goes, I was born here. What's your excuse? And when I moved to Winnipeg, uh, which was about 14 years ago, I found this was a really strange attitude because I could see a lot of great things about the city that the locals um, seemed to overlook. And I actually started a blog about all of that. And it was uh, got a lot of positive feedback. So that was the I guess the start of my relationship with the city as a as a place worth loving. And somewhere around, you know, getting involved in that pawn shop fight or starting your blog, is that when you connected with Strong Towns? Yeah, it was a few years after that, I think. So I had been involved with the Neighborhood Association for a little while. And uh, I was at, at home in Alberta visiting uh, with family one summer and my brother-in-law, who actually just joined Strong Towns as your member advocate, Norm Van Eden Piersman. Uh, we were just chatting one day and, and he said, oh, have you heard of this website called Strong Towns? I think, I think you would really like it. And uh, I think I checked it out right away and really thought the content was interesting and kept going back to read it. And that was, yeah, so that was how I, that was how I heard about it. And what were you writing about on your own blog? Well, when I started writing, uh, it was mostly kind of making little observations about uh, interesting like local quirks, uh, local uh, expressions or practices that uh, I think people who grew up here didn't even really realize were unique. But as time went on, I did start to write more about the problems that I saw in the city, um, its disparities, so social disparities. And then eventually, you know, writing about <laughs> basically strodes and <laughs> how miserable they were and uh, having a hard time getting around on bike. So kind of uh, started off very rosy and then over time turned a little more, um, the, the bloom was off the rose, I guess. So I know that you've been involved in a lot of different sorts of efforts to make your neighborhood and your city better. Let's start with like kind of the personal level. You have chosen to, you know, try to walk and um, maybe bike also or take public transit, you know, and kind of de-emphasize needing a car for daily use. How did that decision come about and what's that been like in mm -hmm. your family's life? Uh, so I, prior to moving to Winnipeg, I had lived in big cities where I never had a car. Um, I lived in Vancouver, which has really fantastic public transit. So that was quite normal to me. Um, to, you know, to, to be just fine without owning a car. But when I moved to here, it was uh, pretty clear that it was uh, easier in many ways to have a vehicle. I had started noticing a little bit, you know, what it was like in my neighborhood uh, to be out walking about, but I didn't really think about it too much until we um, 
we got a new vehicle or a new to us vehicle that was a standard and I never learned how to drive it. I did not like it. And so I basically just stopped driving and started walking and I got a bike for the first time as an adult and realized, oh, riding a bike is is really enjoyable and fun, but there's not a lot of places that feel safe to do so. Um, and so eventually we decided to just sell the car and just try to get by without, uh, without owning a vehicle. And, uh, and that's, I think when, as a family, we really realized, you know, this, the way that the neighborhood, uh, and the, you know, the major, major roads in Winnipeg are built really, um, affects how much we want to be out, uh, outside of a vehicle, which was, um, that it was not a lot and that it was sort of worth fighting for. Got it. Um, and then I would love to hear more about, you know, some of the bigger level efforts that you've been involved in. What was it like to reestablish the Neighborhood Association? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of fun, um, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. It's uh, been really, really great getting to know other people in the neighborhood. And, um, you know, when you have that first event and even just a handful of people come out, it's really encouraging um, and it's sort of, I think the enthusiasm is contagious. Um, we've got uh, a core group of about 15 people that has, some of us have kind of been there since the beginning and some of us have uh, left or joined. And uh, it's just, uh, it feels really positive and good to um, to do things right here in our na- own neighborhood, especially when historically uh, the part of town that we live in, which is called Elmwood ha- has not always had the best reputation. It's, it's really nice to, to sort of be living proof that we, that we're a great community. And what are some of the issues that you guys have been advocating on or focused on? So I didn't know this until recently, but that um, neighborhood, the term neighborhood association doesn't always have a super positive connotation. Um, and we've always been a group that really focuses on positive, not on fighting against the city for things. And so our efforts have really uh, been a lot uh, on having events that bring people together, um, opportunities for neighbors to meet and, and develop stronger relationships. And so um, we try to do events throughout the year that are low cost and, and accessible. So we try to do them outside as much as we can. Um, and we've had some just wonderful events. We just, uh, this past weekend, we had an event called Meandering Music, which is uh, a front porch music, a roving front por- porch music festival. And so uh, people go out on, people go out onto their porch and play a set of music. And then the whole group shuffles down the street and takes in another concert. So that was really fun. In the middle of winter, we have a snow sculpture challenge, which is just a low stakes, uh, you know, non-competitive uh, event where we encourage people to build a snow sculpture on their lawn. And then the whole neighborhood is like this beautiful art gallery that you can walk through. We've done uh, workshops where a neighbor teaches a, a skill that they have. Um, just just lots of lot, lots of um, great fun events for people of all ages. That's amazing. And this is like mostly volunteer led stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's all volunteers. Um, We have gotten a little bit of funding from the city uh, to do some of these things, but, but we also do our own fundraising and that in itself has been pretty fun. We we've been holding an event 
disrupted a little bit during COVID, but an event that's a bake sale that works as a fundraiser for, for the whole year. What other sorts of efforts have you been involved in in Winnipeg to make Winnipeg a better place for everybody to live there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, over the years, I've been involved in a few different groups. I was part of a, a Yimby group for a little while and uh, a group called Safe Speeds Winnipeg, which is focused on bringing in lower uh, default speed limits for the city. Um, but the things that I've been sort of most steadily involved in are the neighborhood association. And, and then coming out of that, I was on a, or am on a tree subcommittee. And that has been really cool. We wound up doing tree uh, tree work in our own neighborhood and then um, lead, sort of leading out of that, forming uh, a citywide coalition of, of people and groups who are interested in protecting trees in the city. So the project that we did right here in our own neighborhood was called the Glen Elm Boulevard Tree Project. And basically, we, we know our neighborhood is about 100 years old. We have a lot of huge, mature elms but they are under threat from Dutch elm disease. And when you lose one of these big, you know, 80, 90, 100 year old elms, it really, really changes the feel of the neighborhood. It's a lot hotter. Of course, the trees are beautiful. So it's just a loss than to see this bald spot. But practically speaking, you know, you lose a lot of shade, you lose the windbreak, you lose the, you know, the the animals and creatures that lived in the tree. And um, and so people in the neighborhood really were really distraught about this. And we've got our city department, forestry department is is wonderful, but they can only do so much with with their resources and against the disease. We eventually came to the conclusion that what we really needed to do was to just plant more trees to get those trees replaced. A lot of them historically weren't being replaced when they died and just because of budget reasons. And so our committee decided that's what we could do. And so we sought a grant of $53,000 to replant about 100 trees. And um, in our first year, we planted about 50. And then we've continued to, to plant a little bit more every year to keep our boulevards completely forested, even though they're, they're little trees that are going to take a long time to grow. But it, it feels really, really good to know that they're, they're at least in the ground and, and they've got a start. That's the big neighborhood project that I'm that I'm really proud to have been a part of because when I walk past those trees every day, I I know that they wouldn't be there if we hadn't uh, if we hadn't worked for them. Yeah, that's really investing in the future. Did you have to like work closely with the city on this to kind of get permission, or do you? Is it space that you know people are just allowed to use, or how did that work? Yeah, so it's the Boulevard is city property. And so we had for this project, we had a couple of partners. We had uh, first first and foremost, we had our, our city councillor and we sort of pitched the project to him and asked him for his support. And and we, we came pretty well researched and I think we made a compelling case and, and he was on board right away, which was great, which was, you know, the start of the project being viable. And then we made some contacts in the urban forestry department at the city and they were also on board because they they knew that they didn't have the capacity to do it but they could help us accomplish it and so then that was another partner and then and then we hired an arborist who would actually do the work and so it was a sort of a a little group group effort an effort of um, several different parties 
I have to say, we have published, you know, a few articles over the years about the value of street trees. And for some reason, I can't quite put my finger on. They're always incredibly popular. Um, there's something, something about trees that just really gets people excited. I don't know if it's just the fact that like, it's hard to be against the idea of having more trees or there's like so many <laughs> different benefits, but yeah. Why, why were you drawn to this tree effort in particular? Yeah. Oh, trees are just so great. And, um, I'm actually, I mean, I care a lot about the environment and, and, uh, very worried about climate change. I wouldn't really describe myself as a tree hugger. I just, uh, you know, practically speaking, I saw like how big of a loss it was to lose these big trees and how, you know, you could be walking along the street on a, on a, you know, hot, 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 summer day and you'd be totally fine under the canopy and then as soon as you step out into one of those spots where the big trees are gone it's just bright and sweltering and uncomfortable and it it just feels awful so it was really sort of selfish I guess that I thought oh I just can't imagine living in this neighborhood when all these trees are gone and so but then as I got involved in this I kind of realized how amazing trees are as as a you know as a tool and as a type of infrastructure because you know the ROI on planting and caring for trees is so much higher than any sort of ROI that you would get on a you know a, a gray concrete project and one of my favorite things to you know to sort of share with people is that trees are the only municipal asset that increases in value and capacity as time goes on you know everything else the day you you open the doors or you cut the ribbon, it starts to lose value. It starts to, you know, become closer to needing to be replaced, whereas trees just have this very long period between the time that they establish and the time they reach their, you know, their natural death, where they just, you know, they just give and give and give and give value and benefits to the, to the city. That's a great point. I never thought about that increase in value mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was chatting with um, a new colleague, Norm, ahead of this conversation, one of the things that he mentioned that you might be able to speak to is kind of the way that local action in in a close-by neighborhood, in the neighborhood where someone lives, can help give rise to broader action on the city level. And also kind of recognizing that citywide activism, particularly in a larger city, can feel very daunting compared with know, very neighborhood scale um, efforts. Is that something that you've experienced? Um, I think, I mean, it, it definitely, you, you definitely feel a bigger sense of accomplishment and satisfaction, I think, working right at the neighborhood level. For a you know, a bigger city like Winnipeg it is, you know, the the wheels of the machine at the city are very, very hard to to turn <laughs> in an opposite direction. Um, so definitely, I think it's very easy to get, you know, discouraged and frustrated trying to, to fix those bigger issues. But I think it's also, there's also an opportunity. And just as an example, so after we started our little tree committee in the neighborhood and we had some, some success we realized, you know, this this is a situation that repeats itself across the city. And so we reached out and we connected with people in different neighborhoods and through different organizations uh, that had a, an environmental focus. And we struck this coalition of about, 
15 different uh, different groups. And we decided to sort of make change, try to make change within the city budget at that top level. When we did our first big campaign, we were successful. We got the budget for urban forestry bumped up by $2 million. You know, that was because we leveraged the, you know, the power of neighborhoods across the city. We weren't just, you know, one neighborhood or one little, you know, special interest group. We were really representative of the whole city. And we could come together and say, this is a collective priority. Doing that, you know, getting, connecting with groups uh, beyond your neighborhood is something that takes time and takes energy and not everyone has um, has those resources at their disposal. But um, I think if you do have them and you have the capacity to to connect in those ways, that can be that can be really powerful and really encouraging because then it, you know it's also it's sort of the bigger version of of building stronger neighbor relationships and you you realize your neighbors across the whole city have uh, common goals and common values. How do you find the time to do all this? Uh, it seems like <laughs> it seems like a lot and also you know having, a young family and how do you make time for all this? Yeah, good question. Um, so, uh, well, I spent a lot of my spare time on it. Um, luckily a lot of the, uh, the neighborhood stuff is, is family friendly. So my kids have been coming along to events and, uh, you know, sitting in the, sitting in a quiet space in a meeting room for their whole lives, basically, it helps that a lot of it takes place right here in the neighborhood, so I don't have to take a long time getting to other places. And then, of course, during COVID, when a lot of things went remote, that, you know, in some ways made it easier to participate in meetings because everything was just from home. It's a balancing act, and, and I'm glad you asked about that because I think for women um, in particular, it's it's very easy to overcommit, and um, a lot is expected, I think, in terms of uh, as volunteers women tend to get overloaded and saddled. And so I think it really is important to know your capacity and to not feel bad about saying no, because there's so many good opportunities, um, things that you, you know, you, you would get involved with if you had the time, but you, you just don't have 48 hours in a day. When you overload, you start to feel like you're not doing a great job at any of them. And so it's, I encourage people and I tell them, I have to tell myself all the time, just don't feel bad about saying no. And to, to know what your mandate is, if you have a, if you have a project that you're doing, or you have an organization, you know, what is the point? What is the mandate? And if you get, you know, invited to do things that are outside your mandate, then you just, you just fall back on that and say, you know, it sounds great, but it's not part of our mandate. So we have to say no. Um, and just, just trying to be really mindful about those, those boundaries. It'll help you to be um, more effective personally. And also, at, you know, if you have an organization or a group just to be stronger in that way, just to know, to know when to say no. Yeah, that's some really good insight. So you've been living in Winnipeg for 14 years or so and involved in so much. What are the results that you're most proud of in the efforts that you've worked on? Hmm. Um, well, the, the tree project that we worked on was, uh, you know, I think I mentioned like a very proud point for me. Um, because it really had a concrete, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, result. <laughs> it's just really great to see that with my own eyes, you know, every day, a physical reminder. Some of the events that we've done as a neighborhood have been um, 
just really encouraging to see how much the, the neighborhood appreciates and embraces and turns out for events. It's, it's just so great to see a big group of people coming together who wouldn't otherwise. One of my favorite stories was we had uh, every year we have a community picnic in September and uh, a friend of mine who lives in the neighborhood was expecting her first baby at uh, on the occasion of one of these picnics. And a few months later, she told me, you know, I met I met another neighbor who I didn't know. She lives just down my street. I met her at the picnic and she turned out to be such a great support to me after I had my baby. And she was so helpful to me. And I just love that story because they might not have met otherwise. But, you know, they we had this gave people this opportunity to meet each other and connect. And it turned into like this really genuine personal connection. So I love I love hearing stories like that. And on a a superficial note, I guess, I started noticing that realtors, when they do listings for houses in our neighborhood, they'll talk about how great the community is and and they'll mention the Neighborhood Association. And that makes me feel really proud because it feels good to have that outside validation that other people notice too, especially since our neighborhood has sort of historically not had always the best reputation. It feels nice to be like living proof otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense neighborhood events being this connector I definitely have experienced that when we moved into the street we're currently living on about a year and a half ago and my husband who's definitely like very much an organizer was like we're gonna put together a block party and so we did that and met a bunch of neighbors one of whom turned out like she lived across the street from us we had never met her before and she was super into sailing and my husband also was really into sailing and was like looking for opportunities to you know, go out on people's boats and stuff. And like that, she's turned into like one of our best friends and like they sail together all the time. And that's all because, yeah, there was a block party and they just ran into each other and started chatting. It's really that's powerful. That's so wonderful. Yeah, really powerful. Um, what are you looking forward to working on in the coming months or, or years ahead, depending on how long-term <laughs> your plans are? Certainly trees are a long-term investment. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. So this has been a fun month for stuff in the neighborhood. But this coming weekend, um, my family, so it's not a neighborhood event, it's just my family, is hosting a front yard pancake party. And uh, we did this twice uh, before the pandemic. And we felt like this year, it seemed like it was safe to do it again. Um, But basically, we just invite a bunch of people from our streets. It's not really a block party. But we just, uh, on a Saturday morning, we set up a table and some griddles and buy a big bag of pancake mix from Costco and tell people to bring their own plate and fork, make a big thing of coffee, and just invite people to come down and hang out and eat pancakes. And it's it's this like very low cost, very fun, nice way to get to know people. And so we're doing that this weekend. And the kids are excited. We went and dropped off invitations at at all of our, we, we did almost the whole block this year. So hopefully we'll get, we'll meet some new people too. But yeah, and I have a, a really fond memory from one of the previous years that we did this. Uh, I, I, as I was cooking pancakes, I looked over and I saw two neighbors from different parts of the street sitting together. And I thought, that's a, an odd pair. And, but I could see that they were deep in conversation. And, 
And afterwards, one of them told me, she said, oh, yeah, years ago, decades ago, we took the same bus together when we were always on at the bus stop at the same time. And they hadn't really seen each other in, in decades, but they had connected. And so that was that was really cool. Um, so that's the one thing I'm looking forward to. And then the other thing is our, our tree, our citywide tree coalition is um, has been running a campaign ahead of uh, we're having municipal elections this fall. And so for a new mayor and council, and we've been running a campaign to try to keep trees as a, as a hot topic uh, in the media coverage. And with uh, as, as candidates are releasing their, their platforms and making their election promises. So we've been running a campaign to try to keep, you know, to get trees in there. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, uh, what the outcome of that is. We've got, we've had a pretty good uptake so far. It's been a good opportunity to talk to the candidates about the importance of trees and uh, almost everyone we've talked to so far has had no problem signing on to our pledge. So that'll be cool to see what happens with that. Yeah, that's great. I was thinking trees maybe could be a nonpartisan issue. I would hope at least. Absolutely. You know, I think people on, on all, all ends of the <laughs> spectrum can see how, how important they are and how much people love them. Winnipeggers really, really love their trees. And so I think it's a, it's a no brainer. What advice would you have for somebody listening that is interested in taking action on some of the levels that you've been taking action to make their town stronger, maybe especially around trees or or neighborhood organizing? Yeah, Um, I would say the first thing is that you have to spend time outside in your neighborhood. Um, So walking or biking, um, but get outside of your vehicle if you drive and just really observe, you know, it's that humbly observe <laughs> portion of strong towns. Um, you have to really, um, you have to really look around and experience it to know what the strengths of your neighborhood are and what, and what the opportunities are of things that could be better. A few years ago, I heard this uh, about this thing called the turquoise table movement, which was a family that had uh, painted a picnic table turquoise and they put it in their front front yard and it, just became this magnet for for meeting people. And um, I think that's where I first heard the term front yard people. So to be people who are um, outside and, and visible, and it's just a great way just spending time outside and in your yard to meet your neighbors and see the people who are, you know, regularly walking their dogs or, you know, watch those rhythms of people who walk to, you know, who are walking to the bus stop in the morning or walking to school. Um, and that's like a great way to just start building relationships, you know, is that frequent light contact. Um, and so just to actually, just to actually be outside is, I think, really a really important first step. And then the other thing I would say, and I actually, I actually heard this on a Strong Towns podcast years of years ago, which was find something positive to rally around. Lots of times people come together to, you know, address a problem or address something bad, which is really important, but sometimes those are the harder things to accomplish. And you can really get a good momentum going when you do positive things together. Yeah, building in, you know, building in those like quick wins, like organizing a picnic or a block party or a spring cleanup, um, really bring people together in, in a positive context. And then you have more strength for, for dealing with the, the bigger issues. So that's what I would say. Yeah, good insights for sure. 
Well, thank you so much, Emma, for coming on the show. I um, appreciate the chance to learn from you and get to share your story with everyone here today. Oh, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for asking me. Thanks to our amazing members like Emma Durandwood. If you are someone who is listening and who also is in that category of people who care about their cities, we definitely encourage you to take a step to become a Strong Towns member. This comes with all sorts of benefits, but especially just the opportunity to connect with a other community of members um, like Emma. Everyone who joins as a member is going to get invited to a member welcoming session with my colleagues, John and Norm. You'll get to connect with other Strong Town supporters across the country and just plug into this community of people who are doing that great work, learning from one another. So if you'd like to join the movement, go to strongtowns.org membership to get started. And of course, love hearing from our elected officials and staff people and planners, engineers. There are so many different folks that make up this movement and it's great to get to feature a lot of them on this show. All right, that is our show for today. We will see you back here next week for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Take care. Mm-hmm.